All right. Well, good morning. Welcome, Koinos Community Church. If you are new with us, uh, my name is Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad to be with you, whether you are joining us here in person as we are now inside, or whether you are joining us via our live stream at home or wherever you happen to be tuning in. It's great to be with you this morning. A couple of things as we get started. First of all, if you are new with us, Welcome. If this is whether you're new with us again online or in person, we have ways for you to connect with us. You can do that via the link. You should be able to see that on your screen. There's a link uh, for where you can go and give us some information about yourself. Uh, if you are here, you can also do that via there's a QR code that you'll find at the giving station in the back. You can scan that um, or you can again go to the link on our website and connect with us there. That'll give us a chance to kind of follow up with you uh, and uh, hear a little bit more about you and share a little bit more about who we are as a community. So thanks so much for being with us. Also, we just want to encourage you, as you are a part of uh, worship today, to consider giving generously to what we're doing here. You can do that via, again, the link that you see on your screen if you're home, um, or you can do that with the giving station here. There's a QR code where you can do a no-touch giving option, and you can also give at the giving box um, as we normally do in our, our worship gatherings. And we just want to remind you too, if, this is, if you're going through a difficult time financially because of, uh, of COVID, as we know many people are, we do have, there, there have been some folks here who have given generously uh, to our pandemic rescue fund that we have. And we do want to invite you that if this is a, a time of financial stress for you, that you can reach out to, uh, to Pastor Andrew and to that team. And uh, you could share a little bit about your situation and see if uh, we might be able to help you out some. Uh, and you can do that again. You can find out all that information on our giving page online. So check that out. And you can check in with Pastor Andrew or with me if you have any questions. So again, thanks so much for being with us. Let me pray for us and then we will move into a time of worship. Father, it is good to be together whether we are together in person or um, because of the miracle of technology. We thank you for the, the various ways that we can connect with each other. And we pray that you would meet us in this time and space, that as we, as we sing some songs, as we reflect on scripture, as we listen to some teaching, uh, that you would draw us more deeply into love with you and love with one another. Move us uh, this morning as we sing, as we learn, as we pray, and move us out into the world as people who uh, look and act in ways that increasingly reflect the character of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Well, my name is, if you don't know me, David Hershey. I guess that's also my name if you do know me, but just nice to meet you. And I am the Children's Ministry Director here at Koinos, uh, among other things in other places, but none of that's relevant right now, uh, because we're here to talk about the Bible, uh, talk about freedom. Our theme right now is freedom. We are studying the book of Galatians, a letter by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. And throughout the series, we're talking about freedom, and this morning specifically, we're talking about freedom from religion, which at first glance, may seem kind of weird because we are here this morning practicing our religion together. So what does it mean for a Christian church, a community of at least somewhat like-minded people, to talk about freedom from religion? Well, we're just going to dive right in because the Apostle Paul in this letter talks about an incident that happened at the church in Antioch that kind of 
leads us right into the issue. So in Galatians 2, uh, Paul had been talking before about his previous life and things like that. And in Galatians 2, he talks about a time. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It's 2 verses 11 to 14. When Cephas, also known as Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So here we have Cephas, again, also known as Peter, and Peter was one of the first disciples of Jesus. If you go back to the beginning of the gospel stories, Peter's one of the first guys that jumped on board and began following Jesus. And throughout his journey as a disciple, there were lots of uh, low points in his life, things he messed up about. But by the time we get to Antioch in this story, it seems like Peter has moved past these failures. Uh, specifically, he should have been able, or he should have moved past divisions such as this one, because Peter himself was actually given a vision from God. You can read about it in Acts chapters 10 and 11, where God tells him that this distinction between clean and unclean is not a thing anymore. And because of this, all the people that believe and follow Jesus, whether they're Greek or Roman uh, other Gentiles or Jewish people, they can all sit together at the table and eat together. And we see this diverse community in the church in Antioch where Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians are sharing meals together at the table, united in their faith in Jesus. But then Paul tells us that some had shown up from Jerusalem, and these people were probably people who also believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, but they believed that you had to follow the Jewish traditions, the Jewish works of the law, to be like a real follower of Jesus. So it was essentially to say, believe in Jesus and these other things. So Peter sees these guys, stops eating with his Gentile Christian friends, separates from them to only eat with the other Jewish Christians. And all of a sudden, this church that was unified is divided into two groups, those who follow the Jewish law and those who do not. So when Peter's separated in this way to eat with his, only his Jewish Christian friends, he rebuilt a wall that Jesus had torn down. To separate in this way was to make their primary identity something other than the person and the work of Jesus. Instead, their primary identity became their, their traditions, their works of the law, their religious practices. So we see here the problem that religion can be, as religion can divide people and then separate them, separate us from each other, and ultimately then separate us from God. I have to be honest, though. I think I'm sympathetic to Peter in this case, and I think many of us are or probably should be, because we know what it's like to want to be part of that higher status group to sit with the table, at the table with the popular kids. We tend to think that our group, the groups we are a part of, are, are the best. We have it all figured out. 
And if everybody else just became like us and did the things, the follow the laws, whatever, to join our group and be at the high status table, then they'd be okay. But that movement's only going one direction. My group has it figured out and they need to become like me. And of course, if you live with this mindset, you live with this way of thinking long enough, and it's really hard to let go of it, as we see with Peter. Of course, this danger is not limited to religion. It can happen in any group. We see it happening all over our society with political organizations, other ideologies, and things like that. But again, we are a religious group. So this morning we are focusing on the specific danger this can be when it happens within religion. When the good that religion can be becomes corrupted, which we see in Peter's actions here, we replace authentic spirituality that draws us closer to God and closer to one another with a sort of religious polarization that separates us from each other and ultimately separates us from God. And I think Paul, writing this letter, he was a formerly zealous Jew. He talked about that before. And he thus would have understood I think where Peter was coming from, he would have understood this desire to rebuild those walls, to eat with, or to, to not eat with people that did not follow the Jewish traditions. But Paul also understood what, again, Peter knew too, Peter had just forgotten it for a moment, that Jesus scandalously changes everything. Jesus sets us free from seeking status by finding the right group to be a part of, and Jesus sets us free from defining ourselves against other people. So Paul goes on. This starts in chapter 2, verse 15, and I'm going to read up to 21. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified by, in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live, in, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So that's pretty dense, and there's a lot of big words and concepts there that are simply impossible to be covered in this, uh, this morning. But if you're interested, we are, we being uh, Dan, our uh, Highway 712 director, Pastor Andrew, we're doing this thing called Postscript on Tuesdays, so we're going online and just kind of diving a little bit deeper into some of these passages. So if there's something that I just read that I end up not really talking about or a question that I don't answer, feel free to text me or Pastor Andrew or Dan or talk to somebody and we'll um, do our best to answer your question on Tuesday. But again, no promises because it's some dense, heavy stuff. I think big picture though, the question that Paul is getting at here is what defines us? What defines our community? What is our primary identity? To harken back to the sermon series that we had not too long ago talking about politics. Are we defined by our religion, by our religious group, by our works of the law? Or are we defined by the work that Jesus has done? 
In other words, are we defined by what we do or are we defined by what God has already done? And Paul's point throughout this is that we are united by the faithfulness of Jesus to God and to one another, and our primary identity is rooted in Christ alone. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus tore down all these walls that separate. But sadly, we know that the history of the Christian church is a long history of people seeking to rebuild those same walls. We see Peter do it in this this passage here. He was definitely not the last. He may have been the first in the Christian church. He was not the last. And when those walls get rebuilt, we end up creating a religion that looks very little like Jesus. Such corrupted religion is harmful to those inside the community as well as those outside the community. We can find examples of this all over the place. Um, It's not hard. You don't have to look long and hard to find people talking about the failures of the Christian church throughout history. Uh, I was reading a a book called The Fire Next Time by the novelist and essayist James Baldwin. I had never read anything by him before, and it had come highly recommended. So I picked up a couple of his works, and I was reading this one. And he echoes in this, in this writing uh, the feeling that many have towards the church. He was writing in the 1950s and 60s, so many had towards the church, but I think what he says is still relevant today. And Baldwin, as a uh, black man, is specifically writing about uh, the white European church that colonized much of the world uh, in the last number of centuries. And in that, that church removed Jesus from the center and replaced it, replaced Jesus with power and conquest. So I think as uncomfortable as it might be, we who are of that white European descent, when we look back at the history of, again, our church, our religion, because many of us fall into that tradition, it's not fun to think about or to talk about, but we must listen to the damage that our religion has caused. So Baldwin writes, in the realm of power, Christianity has operated with an unmitigated arrogance and cruelty, necessarily since a religion ordinarily imposes on those who have discovered the true faith, the spiritual duty of liberating the infidels. I think when Baldwin uses these words to describe uh, the Christian religion, using words like arrogance and cruelty, none of us want to be described like that. And I don't think when we read Jesus, he would be described like that. But again, that's how many see uh, the church. And we talked about this idea that those who have discovered the true faith, see, corrupted religion assumes we have it all figured out and demands that everybody else out there, we need to go out there and they need to assimilate and become like us. The direction moving is only one way. It's getting to that high status table that Peter and his friends were sitting at. So Baldwin goes on, he writes, it is not too much to say that whoever wishes to become a truly moral human being must first divorce himself from all the prohibitions, crimes, and hypocrisies of the Christian church. If the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. And reading this, I think we need to hear, at least I need to hear, the call for us as Christians to confess the hypocrisies of our religion that has happened in the past. We cannot ignore the darknesses of the past of Christianity. We need to confess it. We cannot ignore when those walls have been rebuilt any more than Paul could ignore Peter rebuilding the walls back there in the church in Antioch. 
Of course, in this writing, Baldwin is talking about Christianity in its position towards, uh, during colonialism, towards people that were kind of outside the Christian community. And I think many of us know, though, that building up walls also happens within the Christian community. Christians have built up all sorts of walls inside the church, trying to figure out who gets to sit at the higher status table and who does not. I mean, how much time and energy has been wasted over the centuries trying to figure out what is the one true church? Is it the Catholic church or is it the Eastern Orthodox church? Is it the Baptist or the Presbyterian or the, or the Methodist? And which particular branch of which of those groups? How much time do we spend today, some of us, arguing between maybe more conservative Christians and the things that they kind of emphasize versus more progressive Christians and what they focus on? And we recognize, I hope, that Christians across all these traditions, at the end of the day, believe in the same Jesus. But it's like, is that enough? Because we disagree on a lot too. So the question becomes, like, what other religious practices do we need? Which denomination, which tradition, which group is sitting at that high status table? And how do I get into that group? Because it almost seems like sometimes some, some of us Simply being a Christian is not enough. We need to get to the high status table. Dan White hits on this in his book, Love Over Fear, which we are reading right now in our community groups. So uh, I thought it would be relevant to mention it. But he shares this story. He says, where do you feel this polarization? When I was a kid, I remember that awkward feeling I had as my family drove past the Episcopal church on our way to our Baptist church. What goes on in there, I thought? There was a clear dividing line between us, the true Christians, and them, the fake Christians. To me as a kid, their big cathedral-looking church felt ominous compared to our building, which looked like a spruced-up, nicely-painted barn. No doubt they viewed us the same way with our weekly, pithy religious slogans displayed on our billboard. Somewhere in our hardly developed adolescent minds, we thought that being near them would damage our youth group. We felt self-protective fear, so we chose to avoid them. We were already polarized against each other, and we had never even met. What he's talking about there is this idea that when we base our status on inclusion in the right religious group, this leads to creating polarization, to creating us versus them. It leads us to form this sort of pride in ourselves as individuals or as a community where we focus on what we have done to achieve the right status. It leads to separation as we avoid those or look down on those who have not made their way to the high status table that we think we are sitting at. And this is why I think Paul emphasizes throughout his letter to the Galatians that our status is not based on what we do or what we do not do, nor really on any of our actions or beliefs or lack thereof. Instead, our status rests solely on what God has already done in Jesus. As he says there, a person is, he uses the word justified. That's a big word. We could just say a person is made right. A person is saved, however you want to put it. But it comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And I think his whole point is to remind us that Jesus lives in us as individuals and as a community. And we must always be making sure that our primary identity is in Jesus. When we become so concerned with being in the right religious group or the higher status table within that group, we end up taking our eyes off of Jesus 
and starting to look at other people and other groups and comparing ourselves to them. And our primary identity then becomes, again, what we have done to get into that group. This sort of religion majors on secondary things, majors on the minors, and leads to separation and division. And it does not benefit anybody, whether inside our community or outside of it. Instead, it leads to a corrupted religion that ruins both our community and anybody else on the outside. So with all of that said, what does authentic spirituality look like? I think Paul's answer in this section that I read a minute ago is in verse 20, where he says, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Of course, Paul's going to go deeper into this throughout the rest of the letter, so keep coming back, and I'm sure we'll have lots more things to investigate. But just looking at this passage, I think it's significant that he talks about um, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's some reality to be grasped with that we still live in the flesh. And due to this, we're all still liable to sin. I don't think I need to prove that to anybody. We all know that we're all broken people and we mess up on a pretty regular basis. Yet in some mysterious way, we also live in Jesus and Jesus lives in us. And I think authentic spirituality is learning to allow the life of Jesus to control us more and more while that life of the flesh, that life of the sinful nature controls us less and less. This is a constant lifelong battle to keep our eyes focused on who God is in Jesus and what God has done. As the reformer uh, Martin Luther said, true righteousness is the righteousness of Christ who lives in us. We must look away from our own person and away from other people, I would add. Christ and my conscience must become one so that I can see nothing else but Christ crucified and raised from the dead. If I keep looking at myself or at other people, I am gone. So on that note, though, I think it is important to emphasize or at least to mention that the point is not simply to get rid of spiritual practice or to get rid of religion altogether. The problem was not that Peter and Paul were in a religious community. The problem was not even in the people in that community had slightly different traditions and practices. The problem is when those traditions and practices that we bring with us move to the center and push Jesus to the side. Or the problem, to put it another way, is when we think our way of being a Christian is the right way, And anyone who does not practice their faith in the way that I do or the way that we do as a community is some kind of at some at some kind of lower status table. The point is not to get rid of our practices or our traditions, I think, but to ask ourselves as we are practicing our doing our spiritual practices, coming to church on Sunday, performing our religious things we do, what are we motivated by and where are we looking? Are we looking at what other people are doing, motivated by competition, see who's getting to that higher status table? Or are we motivated by looking at who Jesus is and by this hope that as we grow, we can take on more of his character to become more loving, more kind, more joyful, more generous, more humble? My hope for us as individuals and as a community is that we will be reminded of God's love. That we be reminded that God's love for us is not contingent on us 
perfectly following religious laws or rules. It's not contingent on us doing something to reach some higher status, some kind of super Christian. The reality is there is no higher status table anyway. In Christ, we are already at the only table that there is. And of course, everyone is invited to this table because God's love is really, really big and welcoming to all, and it's contingent only on what Jesus has already done. We can do nothing to earn God's love. I would say we can do nothing to lose God's love. We can do nothing to make God love us more. We can do nothing to make God love us less. So my prayer for us, my hope is that we can go out this week with our eyes set on Jesus and be set free from the desire to achieve some higher status, to find the right group, to do what we can do to be a part of it. May we keep our eyes on Jesus instead to strive to be who God has made us to be. May we also then see the world and those around us through the eyes of Jesus, having the same love for those around us that God has for us, and in rather than competing with each other or other communities to reach a higher status table, may we lift one another up so that together we can become the community of people that God has created us to be. So we're going to move into a final song here in a minute, but as we do, during the song, there's going to be uh, two questions to think about. You're more than welcome to sing with your mask on if you like. But if you want to uh, reflect on these questions, uh, they both kind of flow from what I've said so far, hopefully. Uh, but the first question to think about is, when have you tried to gain a seat at that high status table to get into that pristine or group that you want to be a part of? And to get there, though, what did it cost you? What elements of your own character did you have to give up? What compromises did you have to make? And then another question to think about is, what is one step you could take this week towards pursuing authentic spirituality with Jesus? If we talk about looking to Christ more and looking to those around us less, what do we, you know, that may require adding some things to light your, our lives. It may require getting rid of some things from our lives. So what are the steps you must take this week? I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And then Autumn and Josh are going to come and lead us in one final song. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us just the way we are. And we ask you would forgive us for the times we've built up those walls, whether in comparison to other people who share our Christian faith or just people in general, when we've looked at ourselves and pat ourselves on the back and tried to do things to make ourselves as some kind of higher status person, Christian, table, whatever. I pray that you would forgive us of that and help us to instead keep our eyes focused on you to become the person you've created us to be. And as we become more like Jesus, more kind and loving and humble and all those good things, I pray that you would just give us the strength and the humility and the power to love those around us, not so that they can become like us, but so that we all can become more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.